Founding support for The Reading Life comes from Octavia Books. Additional support comes from the Hellas Foundation and the Louisiana Endowment for the Humanities, the state affiliate of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Hello and welcome to The Reading Life, your weekly look at the Louisiana literary scene. I'm Susan Larson. This week we'll be talking with poet Laura Mullen about her new collection, ETC. Many New Orleans listeners will know the splendid poet Laura Mullen from her years living and writing in New Orleans and teaching at Louisiana State University. Many more will remember her from her wonderful extended look at grief in a series of poems called Complicated Grief, her last collection. Now she's coming back to New Orleans this month to talk about a provocative new book, ETC, which takes on dragons and slays them, dragons of a particular American variety. Laura Mullen, welcome. It's always so great to talk with you. Susan, I'm so honored and happy to be invited to speak with you. It's always a great and edifying joy. Well, thank you. Now, before we dig in, I'd like to ask you to read a poem that's not in this collection, but I found it on your website. And to me, it seems to say so much about how you work. It's called, What If Poetry Wasn't? Thank you. Um, This poem was published in diagram and I will read it now. What if poetry wasn't a song or a saying, but a pause in the effort to hold a tune or communicate, look, here's a dead moth lying in the skeletal structure of a dried leaf. Trace the lace of the stuff, the impulse of life once traveled through the trajectory a sort of ocarina, open to soundless breath. I love the way you say breath. Of course, you're a poet. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. And there's a story behind the ocarina, too. Mm -hmm. My my hermaphrodite godfather, who went up the Amazon, came back with a pre-Columbian whistle, as I called it, Mm -hmm. and I gave it to the flautist, Claire Chase, who has restored it to where it ought to be in the world after playing it. Isn't that lovely? Yeah, it truly, truly, truly is. Laura Mullen, Agent of Change. (laughs) But this gave gave me that same feeling I got. There's there's something that Albert Goldbarth said somewhere that said, you know, anything gripped gripped aright and long and hard enough will eventually, and studied, deeply enough, will eventually reveal the secrets of the universe. So true. It's so true. I I like to say research is prayer. I agree. I absolutely agree. That that act of of finding out, that that is a way of entering into a holy state. Well, tell me about the research that went into this book, because one of the things you're doing in this new book is 
tracing a trajectory of American life and centering it around a cultural figure who's common to us all. Yeah. Um, You're speaking of the um, quite famous logo whose name must never be mentioned here, like Voldemort. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I will say um, the, the research I did for this book was in part just the research of my own life, as in it was the research that comes from 30 years of teaching in academia. So some aspect of this book is uh, me wrestling with um, academia and specifically the humanities, more specifically literature and the kind of doublethink that opens up within the space of that discipline um, where you are both supposed to have feelings and not supposed to have feelings and supposed to think critically and then supposed to stop thinking critically. Um, The other aspects of the research that went into the book were I did a lot of thinking about um, the history of milk in this country. Um, There's a great book called Milk that I can recommend to everyone. Also, um, the, the, the magazine Cabinet did a special milk issue that was really helpful to me at a certain juncture. So I thought about the milk wars. I thought about the ways I did research into the ways in which um, small farms have turned into big farms, have turned into mega farms, have turned into corporations. And tracing that change, I would say, along the lines, along with the inquiry into what's happened to academia, because in fact, as it turns out in America, all of the areas that we consider so separate are actually very, very, very linked. So um, while the farms turned into corporations, uh, the schools did too. Right. Right. So much corporate life in this book. Oh, oh. Yeah. 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 With its, with its um, constant uh, pressure to take on guilt for the way in which you're oppressed. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> you know, take on guilt, take on responsibility. Um, be more mindful, have more positive thoughts. And meanwhile, your job situation is likely getting much, much, much worse. I'm so pleased for and proud of the many young people in this country who are um, bringing back union efforts and really beginning to say, no, excuse me, uh, the bad conditions under which you're asking me to work are not my own fault and cannot be eradicated by positive thinking. And it doesn't have to be this way. And it doesn't have to be this way. Yeah. Well, now you mentioned bringing Elsie into the air at the New Orleans Poetry Festival. And what an empowering feeling that was. Can you tell us a bit about Elsie and that process and how she appeared to you? Happy to do that. Um, Yeah. Elsie came to me... These poems came to me in a moment of great stress and unhappiness. And I've never had an experience like the experience I had writing this book in which I think uh, 80 poems came to me over the course of three months. Wow. Yeah. It, it, was, it was dramatic and thrilling. And I think that the um, sorrow I was facing... Uh, threw me into a place of isolation where I could be receptive to what turned out to be a really strong voice 
And I, the two models for what was happening to me that I held on to were John Berryman's dream songs, mm-hmm. which I feel it, in some ways I'm tempted to say this book is my dream songs, and Sylvia Plath's Ariel, <gasps> where the poems come really, really, really quickly under uh, extraordinary duress. Boy, those are worthy ancestors. Well, yeah, no, it sounds like bragging <laughs> to claim them, huh? <laughs> no, brag yeah. on, brag on. <laughs> uh, yeah, and yeah, they they are they are the the they helped me understand what was happening to me. Mm-hmm. And then Elsie, like a prism, becomes to hold so much. You know, she becomes such a rich image for you. Absolutely. Um, and then, of course, and this is one of the great glories of working through a persona slash avatar in this way, is that, it, in fact, though I started out furious at her, oh, my God, I, I hated her with such a, a, a passion because I was angry, because I was hurt, because I was betrayed. As I worked through her, I came to see that she was me. I, I am her. I came to see our commonality, and I came to see how thinking with her uh, could enlighten me about a larger human situation. If you're just joining us, we're talking with poet Laura Mullen, whose new collection is ETC. Read this poem, But, because it's, it's, it's a poem you can't help but feel with. I mean, if you know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. No, it was, it, I love that you seize on it. It was one of the key, the key moments in the process of writing the book. Um, I should tell your audience, you won't be seeing it, that the the title but is B-U-T, um, and that it's in quotes and that there are ellipses after it, as though um, someone was starting to object, but, and then kind of pausing. Right. But Elsie blinks her eyes to keep the tears back. But, she says, I stand for something really good. I stand for freshness and purity and health and family values and happiness, America and innocence. What kind of sick monster are you if you don't like me? Her head, the head I'm talking at, hangs in its circlet of flowers at once bridal and funereal on the plastic bottle with its sell-by date like a hunting trophy. Maybe also like the unforgiving mirror in Walt Disney's Snow White. I'm not, honestly, the freshest of them all myself these days. L, C, I say, don't cry. Goodness. And I'll just again for your readers who aren't seeing it, it's it's very crucial that. The the name Elsie then begins to open up in so many ways. And in this poem at the end where it says L-C, that's the initial L, which, of course, is Laura, and the word C, as in look. Right. Uh, 
it it really I remember once I was in great distress and I called my aunt and I went, I feel, I feel, I feel, I feel. And she said, why don't you stop feeling and think? (laughs) (laughs) um, I I just like there was something of that voice coming back here to say, you know, use your eyes to look at the world, not to weep for it. Oh, this makes me like your aunt a lot. <laughs> I, I love my aunt. How bracing. How bracing. Yes, she was. But Elsie leads you to so many things, as you said, to the word milk, which is never a word I've liked very much. And it made me think oh, gosh, about that for a long time. Is There's something <laughs> about the way it feels when you say it. You know there's a whole poem in the book about the way it feels when you say it. Because yes. It, yeah, yeah, I'm with you. It's, and you made me think weird. that. Oh, good. <laughs> but, and then the writing of Gertrude Stein. Mm. Mm. Yep. Having a cow. Yeah. yeah, exactly. How could I write a book about uh, this particular subject and not and not go to someone whose work I adore so much? Stein, another kind of aunt for me. <laughs> another another bracing aunt. And then even a cowhide briefcase. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just once you start thinking about it, you can't stop. It's really funny. I think you've discovered the secret of how those poems came to me. It's just it's just like thing after association after association came tumbling out. And it's just like, oh my God. Well, and that's the this. secret of what makes the book so funny. And it's so Thank angry. You. Thank you. You are so right. <laughs> it is. It is, and that's that's what I that's what I do. I um, I don't know what the what the trick is, but I'm in a really hellish uh, moment in my life right now. And in the middle of the night, when I was up, I thought, "This is hilarious." <laughs> <laughs> what else are you gonna do? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Here comes this great rush of work that you've worked so hard to put into the world at a, at a bad moment in your life. It seems so typical of the way the world works sometimes. Yes, yes, yes. You're exactly right. And I think saying that is very important for um, not just writers to hear, but everyone to hear. I know my, my students could use that information, could know that, you know, the old saying, it never rains, but it pours. But things will, they will stack up and come at you. And you will need to be resilient and courageous and somewhat amused. <laughs> <laughs> well, you take on so much in this book. You, t- I mean, you really are taking on giant issues of corporations, branding, the rough-and-tumble way we grind up against that corporate reality in our daily lives, the way we see it everywhere we look. And, and of course, climate change comes through in this book in many poems. Ah, you're such a great reader. It's because I read it aloud. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, how brilliant. That's so great. My dogs are really well-read in poetry. (laughs) It's just... (laughs) Oh, I love that. Of course, climate change is part of it. I mean, part of that pressure to think positively and 
it, it is a, a, a way, again, of distracting us from this appalling thing that is happening that is so much larger than us. And um, just because of the age I am and the age you are, I know you understand, we were, we were the ones who saw the starting of this happening, and we saw how the corporations would say things like, oh, you need to stop littering, as if that was the solution to the kind of wide-scale pollution. So true. And yet, so worth the struggle. That's what this book is all about. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I do love hearing Elsie's voice. I do. I do love being Elsie's voice, if I have to be honest about it. <laughs> isn't, it isn't it fun? Yeah, it can is. I, can I read the one that is, I, I really love the one that is like where she says, stop talking about me? Yes. Okay. Stop writing about me like this, Elsie says, primly. You need to be sympathetic. Poems are for deepening our emotional capabilities. Yours are not impressive, by the by, seeming to be slightly less capacious than your bra size. Poetry is meant to lead you to love, she huffs, as if it were a drug, like morphine, which memorably once allowed me to feel the whole world was my friend briefly. Let me think about that and get back to you. Elsie thinks that if I were writing correctly, I'd be married by now or at least have better selfies. And I think a literature meant to help its author be interpolated into the larger marketing strategy is bound to be a very limited field of activity, right? But Elsie, who hates to be lectured to, as she puts it, is already turning away. Let me think she says, about that and get back to you. She won't. She fixes her lipstick, adjusts her statement necklace of yellow daisies. I think it's a choker, actually, and fluffs her horns. Please, I hear her humming as she prances off and repeats it. Me, she adds, like I. (laughs) Me, like I. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that necklace. That necklace is so annoying. Anyway. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. It's so annoying, and yet it was such a source of inspiration. Bound to fade. <laughs> Bound so to fade. I had so much fun thinking about all the things it could be. If you're just joining us, we're talking with poet Laura Mullen, whose new collection is ETC. In the last poem, Scream, Mm. you made me start thinking then about rabbits, because rabbits, I've had a lot of fraught (laughs) encounters with rabbits lately. (laughs) Oh, good. For some reason, and this struck home to me in so many ways, you will never, ever know. But I um, hope to know. Well, (laughs) (laughs) and at the end, you're calming this rabbit, and you're thinking about the emotional weight of a rabbit's scream and angst and just its, you know, emotional ups and downs, its sounds, its actions, its trappedness, you know. And then you have you write, when I asked myself what I wanted to say to you about this book, I recall that moment. What I wanted to tell you is this. I didn't write these poems. They escaped me. Mm. And that's exactly the way this book feels. That kind of urgency and lack of choice, that sense of 
destiny in these poems that they were meant for you to write at this moment? That's so lovely. You, you're you're making me think about the fact that um, in a, in a much earlier book called The Tales of Horror, there's a sequence in which and it and again like the rabbit, it really happened. And actually, both of them happened in Eureka, California, where my father lives. I was walking late at night with a friend and we heard a woman screaming and she came up between us screaming. She was holding her shoes in her hand. She was running full tilt down the street and she was screaming and she brushed in between us and went on. And it didn't even seem possible to to stop her. Mm -hmm. But the scream of the baby rabbit, I didn't know, of course, a rabbit could make a noise like that after it had been rescued from the jaws of a German shepherd. Mm. Um, this scream as a symbol, um, of course, I'm thinking of the Munch painting here, the famous, the scream. Right. Um, I think that there's a kind of baseline way in which I uh, hear or feel a, a scream happening all the time. And... Poetry is the moment where it comes out and, and enters language and moves from being a sound that is only alarming and speaks to a, a failure of understanding and an impossibility of communication. And in the poetry, it becomes a place where that failure and that impossibility can potentially become possibility, and I don't want to say the word success, but um, something real, something connective. I'm rereading Teresa Hak-kyung Cha's Dicte, rereading it twice because I'm teaching it twice, and I've read it uh, so many years, and I don't know if you know the book or your readers know the book, but she does a very interesting thing at the front of the book where she goes through the chapters of the book are all the muses, um, Cleo, Calliope, oh. Urania, very, very New Orleans. Yes. Um, but she switches out Euterp, um, lyric, the muse for lyric poetry, with Illiter. Illiter. Um, E-L-I-T-E-R-E. And for the first time ever, I realized that, of course, she's playing with the word Illit, illiteracy, illiterate. Wow. And that lyric poetry is a thing that we use to move into spaces where communication is fraught and charged and difficult and may require moving around the expectations of communication which are forced on us by our cultural situation. Wow, that's a lot to think about. Yeah. It's a gift of all your books. We've been talking with Laura Mullen, whose new book is ETC. You can meet her when she appears Saturday, November 18th at 1215 at Po' Boys and Poets, part of Words and Music at the Andre Caillou Center, or again Saturday at 6 at the Saturn Bar when she appears with Danny Unger in the Splice Reading Series. She also appears with poet Rodney Jones, whose new book is Alabama, Sunday, November 19th at 2 at Octavia Books. 
Laura, thank you so much. Susan, thank you. This was an extraordinary joy. Here's what's on tap in the literary life this week. Laura Mullen reads from Inside CTC, Saturday, November 18th at 12.15, at Pole Boys and Poets, part of Words and Music at the Andre Caillou Center. And again, Saturday the 18th at 6 at the Saturn Bar, when she appears with Danny Unger in the Splice Reading Series. Laura also appears with poet Rodney Jones, whose new book is Alabama, Sunday, November 19th at 2 at Octavia Books. Pat Murphy discusses in Signs Growing Up Downtown Bay, St. Louis, a memoir of small-town Mississippi life in the 1940s to the 1970s and beyond, Monday, November 20th at 6 at Octavia Books. Words and Music, a literary feast in New Orleans, runs through Saturday, November 18th at the Andre Caillou Community Center, as well as other community venues. Highlights for this weekend include the University of New Orleans Showcase, featuring Sonny Patterson and Moose Jackson Friday the 17th at 5 at the Caillou Center, and a conversation with Melissa Weber and Brian Wagner, records, archives, and other rare grooves, Saturday at 10.30, also at the Center. Finally, there will be an evening with Louisiana Poet Laureate Allison Pellegrin in conversation with Sky Jackson. That's Saturday at 6 at Community Book Center. Check out wordsandmusic.org for the complete schedule. Blue Cypress Books presents a day of author signings as part of Hoboy Fest Sunday, November 19th. Shannon Atwater and Laura Carroll appear from 10.30 to noon to sign Alligators Don't Like Flowers and Goodnight Pothole. Adam Dennis signs Gary and the Tooth Fairy from 11.30 to 1. Chef Toya Bodie signs Cooking for the Culture from 1 to 2. Alexis Rishu signs The Haunting of Priscilla La Violette from 1.30 to 3. And Mark Rosenbaum signs NOLA Portraits from 2.30 to 4. Founding support for The Reading Life comes from Octavia Books, with major support from Rouse's Markets. Additional support comes from the Hellas Foundation, the Jefferson Parish Public Library, and the Louisiana Endowment for the Humanities, the state affiliate of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Any views, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed in The Reading Life do not necessarily represent those of the National Endowment for the Humanities. The theme song for The Reading Life is by Matt Perrine and Sunflower City. The Reading Life is produced by George Ingmeyer and is a production of WWNO. You can listen to us anytime or subscribe to our podcast at WWNO.org. And you can email us at thereadinglife at WWNO.org.